Shalom, everyone. This is Zion Hebraic Congregation with me, Luke Tanner. This week's Shabbat message is by me, and it is from the book of John, chapter 4. Uh, feel free to check us out on our website, zionhebraiccongregation.com. There you will find archived Shabbat messages by myself and my father, as well as my father's blog posts. You can subscribe to those blogs uh, if you put your email in the little subscribe box. And you can find links to our social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, also feel free to subscribe to our Shabbat messages on your favorite podcast platform provider, such as Apple Podcasts or um, Google Play. And uh, if you could leave a review, that would be sweet as well. Enjoy. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. So, John chapter 4, today. Uh, I'll send out more information coming up, but... Um, rough date. We do have a rough idea of when the dates for the fall holidays will be. So it's gonna they're gonna begin roughly the end of September. So you can kind of keep that in mind. And uh, for your fall holiday preparations, we will um, usually what we try to do for Yom Teruah or what do you, uh, or Rosh Hashanah is sometimes what it's called. Feast of Trumpets, as you'll read in your English Bible. Um, we usually go somewhere in past years. We've gone up to Kearsarge, and we try to sight the moon, So, which is fun. You know, we have a fire, blow the shofar, eat food, and try to find, see the moon. So it's, it's a good time. Um, so we, we'll, we might do something like that. And then Yom Kippur, oftentimes we'll get together like at the end of the day um, to break the fast if you're fasting or just get together either way and then for Sukkot for Sukkot <laughs> uh, the first and last days of Sukkot are our festival days no work days so usually we'll try to organize something for those so so I'll keep you in the loop on all those as we go closer you can can you turn that off just I don't want to burn out the bulb yeah um, so John chapter 4. So this is obviously on the heels of John chapter 3 and 1 and 2. And so we went over those. Uh, I went over John chapter 1 a while back. And then we went through 2 and 3 last week. And we're going to go through 4 this week. Um, and kind of a quick recap. You have Yeshua of John the Baptist kind of inaugurating the ministry of Yeshua and his whole purpose of coming uh, to redeem his people. And then you have um, all these scenarios that he goes through uh, with the, the wine, turning water into wine, and then um, 
uh, just all the things that he goes through. He goes into the temple and, uh, uh, and then he heals people. So there's all these things going on. It's really cool. The book of John is awesome. It just gives a really um, uh, dynamic view of Yeshua and the things that he says and he does. I just really love it. I, every time I read through the book, it's, I don't know, it's, uh, it's, it's like watching a movie and I you watch a movie over and over again and you see new things and it's cool every time you watch it. It's kind of like that for me. I mean, the whole Bible's like that, but you know, so, all right, so we'll get into it and uh, talk about it as we go. So let's see here. Um, so chapter four, verse one, wherefore, when, wherefore, uh, the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that uh, Yeshua made and baptized more disciples than John, though Yeshua himself baptized not, but his disciples. He left Judea and departed again unto Galilee. Um, so you have just that introductory statement where he, um, the Pharisees are hearing how he's baptized and, or his disciples are baptizing lots of disciples, even more than John, which is, that's not just a subtle statement. What's going on there? John was very much uh, a um, firebrand in the midst of what was going on in the whole temple system because he was, he was a priest. He was, uh, his, during his whole birth, if you remember, his dad goes into the temple. He has the vision with the angel. The angel says, you're going to have a son. He says, well, we're wicked old. How's that going to happen? And so he, he strikes him dumb. And then finally like, they have the baby's born and then he can speak again. He says, the, the, the child's name will be John. And he will prepare the way of the Messiah. So that's very prophetic because uh, uh, the ministry of Elijah is, 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 is what John was fulfilling, which was uh, bringing the people back to the Torah. And the, and the reason he was so controversial was he was a priest. Normal priest, serve where? In the temple. Well, John didn't do that. He went out into the wilderness took the people out of what was, had become basically the corrupt system of the day and was preaching the gospel to him. He was saying, repent, which means in Hebraic thought, turn back from the way that you came through 180 degrees, go back, meaning they had corrupted the word of God, they had corrupted the Torah, they had turned it into their own system. And so he was saying, no, what you're doing, how you're living um, is, 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 is wrong. And that's why then, you know, and then has he said, baptizing people uh, and making disciples and they're following him and his teachings, which is the word of God, it was, it was a bit of a power struggle going on between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the temple system of the day than what was happening out in the wilderness with John. And then when you get Yeshua being immersed by John and, and, and that beginning his ministry, it lends credence even more so to what John was going on. So you have this big power struggle, and then he goes into the temple, he drives out the money changers, the people like him, and so there's this quandary going on. And so it's a very much a power struggle, and they want him dead because he is threatening their control that they have over the people, their financial stability, their political system, their ties with the Romans. So you have all these multiple dynamics going on, uh, and, and why these, these statements are very interesting and fascinating. So Yeshua is baptizing all these people, and the Pharisees are hearing about it, or his disciples are. I find it interesting that um, 
and very wise of Yeshua not to uh, baptize anyone because if anybody was like, well, <laughs> I was baptized by Yeshua, you know, that'd be like the ultimate trump card. But he, but he, he didn't do that. Uh, his, his disciples did. So he leaves Judea, Judea, which is down in the south, and it, where, that's where Jerusalem is, and he goes up into the Galilee. That's where Lake Kinneret is, the Sea of Galilee. And uh, so he goes up there. Four, and he must needs go through Samaria. And he cometh to a city of Samaria, which is called Sichar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. So uh, that's telling you when, it, when he's going through Samaria. So this goes all the way back. This is why it's so important that we read our Bibles from the beginning, because this goes all the way back to the dividing of the northern and the southern kingdoms. Eventually what happened is, remember, if you will, uh, David unites the kingdom after Saul. David dies. His son Solomon takes over. Solomon uh, doesn't obey God in his building up of, of wives and of, uh, of horses. And so God split, says, I'm going to split the kingdom from you. So his sons take over. The, skin, the, the kingdom splits into the northern and the southern kingdoms. The northern kingdom becomes known as Ephraim or, or Israel. The southern kingdom becomes known as Judea. Eventually, that the northern kingdom, uh, Judea, uh, uh, Ephraim, Israel, gets morphed into what eventually becomes and called Samaria because the people who live there are called Samaritans because they were a mixture of a mixed breed. They, the Jews in the south went into captivity in Babylon and, and, and came back. They were still a mixture and a hodgepodge as well, but maintained more of their national identity. Whereas the tribes in the north, most notably Ephraim, they intermingled with the Assyrians and whatever other foreign peoples that the Assyrians who conquered the northern kingdom put there. And so they were looked down upon by the Jews because, again, the Pharisees and Sadducees and the Jewish leadership and the mentality of the day was, and all this had to do with the Maccabees and, and everything that was going on politically, they saw their place in the kingdom of God was as relating to their their, uh, their heritage, their being Jews, or their being part of Israel. And so if you were a half-breed, uh, you were looked down upon. Part of the problem and the reason for that was up in the, northern, up in, the north, in Ephraim there, and uh, that's why it says the parcel of land that Jacob gave to Joseph, um, Joseph's two sons were Ephraim and Manasseh. So you had that, that area, up that those two tribes up in the north. That was also the seat of where the um, pagan worship that went on. Because what happened after the fall of the two king, the, the, the splitting of the kingdoms in the north, up in the north, the people were still going down to Jerusalem to worship because Jerusalem is where the temple was. So the leaders in the north said, well, we can't have that because then people are going to be loyal to the south, to Ju Judea. And so what they did is they set up their own house of worship, their own temple, where they worshiped God, but their own way in their own temple. And so that's where this friction comes. And, and, and that's why the whole story of the Good Samaritan, that's, it's not, yes, he does a nice thing, and that's kind of what we get told and taught as little kids as the moral of the story. But the larger picture is the priest, the Levite, and... Is it just the priest and the Levite and a rich man or something like that? Anyway, they, they all pass by the Samaritan because 
well, he's just a dirty Samaritan half-breed. And so, uh, I don't know, they pass by the guy who got robbed. The Samaritan helps the dude. He, the Samaritan, you know, so Yeshua's poking him in the eye, basically, when he tells these, these parables. So, all that's context of what's going on. All right, so, he needed to go through Samaria. So, they go to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, this is verse 5, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Yeshua, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour, so it was around noontime, give or take. And there cometh a woman from Samaria to draw water. And Yeshua said unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. And then said the women of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, asked a drink of me, which is a woman of Samaria? So now you understand why she's saying that. Like, this is weird. One... She's a woman uh, at that time. Uh, you, women and man, male relations when you were not married were, were much more um, separated, I guess you would say. You, you, know, you, just wouldn't, you just wouldn't do this. And she's a Samaria, Samaritan to boot. For the Jews have no dealings with Samarians, Samaritans. Verse 10, Yeshua answered and said unto her, If thou knowest the gift of God... And who it is that said to thee, Give me to drink, thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. So, so you know, he's sitting in the well, random dude, random woman, and, and then he just like lays this on her. I don't know, that's how I always feel when I read this. It's just like, ah. Uh, you know, if I was a woman, I would have been like, okay. <laughs> so then I think she, she asked reasonable questions. And we're going to come back to this whole idea of living water and the gift of God and these things because he basically is laying out the whole point of his mission on earth, really, is what he's doing. And it relates to the Samaritans as well because he's come to gather in all the tribes of Israel. So it's, it's really pertinent what he, why he does this. It's not just, he didn't just throw this out randomly. So, uh, 11. So the woman's like, okay, i got to sort this out here. The woman said to him, Sir, thou have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence, when, from whence then hast thou that living water? Living water, biblically, or, you know, in, in these times when they talk about living water, would have been moving water or rushing water. Like a, a well was not living water. It had to be moving. So like a stream or a river would be considered living water. Uh, 12, art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well and drank thereof himself and his children, all his cattle? So she's kind of calling him on the carpet and saying, who do, you, who, who, the heck, who do you think you are? You don't have a bucket. You don't have a well. It's deep. Our father's dug this well. Who in the world are you? So Yeshua answered and said unto her, whosoever drinketh the, 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 this water shall thirst again. 14, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. So he just doubles down. <laughs> he just doubles down on his cryptic, weird, what in the world is he saying, sayings. Uh, but again, he's using this whole situation and scenario as an opportunity to, uh, uh, what, what should I say, minister, witness, teach, instruct, really, th this woman in the truth of him as the Messiah relating to their whole national heritage and everything that she is, he is, and how about how God is bringing about 
redemption for his people. So uh, he's, he's basically saying, you know, I'm going to give you water that will spring up into everlasting life. And we'll, we'll, we're going to come back to that and, ex- and, and explain what that is. Ba-ba-da. 15. <laughs> so the woman said unto her, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. So she's thinking, all right, well, this sounds cool. If you've got some of this magical water, I'll take a cup. Especially if I don't have to come back here and waste my time. Uh, So then then I find it so fascinating that she says, all right, cool, I want this. But then he, he, uh, probes or goes immediately to, which is what happens in all of our lives when we have a transformation and we're born again and we come to accept God as our Savior. The the God always goes to the dark places of our life, right? And he, he re- reminds us of our depraved straight, that it's not just that easy. It's like, okay, yeah, you want this living water. You want redemption. You want a new life. You want to be on the path of righteousness, but we got to take care of some business first. So, all right. So he goes, uh, so, uh, 16, Yeshua said unto her, go call thy husband and come hither. Uh, it would also have been a cultural thing, you know. And the woman said under, uh, answered and said, I have no husband. And Yeshua said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast is not, uh, now hast is not thy husband. In that said thou truly. And the woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. So, uh, you know, she's like thinking dang, you know, who is this guy? He must be a prophet. So he's telling me about living water. So we'll, so, um, all right. So let's talk about this living water thing. So she, knowing the Tanakh, because they would have known the Samaritans also, they, they, uh, they also had the Tanakh and they accepted it as scripture, but they, they changed certain key elements, which she's going to get into with worshiping on this mountain. And, and Jerusalem and salvation is of the Jews. So, but um, this idea of living water, if, if you go back into, so let's go first to Jeremiah chapter two real quick. And we're going to read where this idea, and it's, it's sprinkled, pun intended, nah, throughout the whole Tanakh, but this idea of living water um, is all over the place. So if you go to Jeremiah chapter two and 13, verse 13, uh, this is the word of Jeremiah talking to uh, Israel. So 2 verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and have hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So he's talking to his people Israel and how they have rejected him, have rejected God as their Lord and Savior. And so that idea of living water, they would, you know, back in the day, they didn't have taps where they just, you know, turned on the the sink and it turned on and they were good to go. You had to go to uh, the well or you had to go to a spring or you had to go to a stream to get water. And so God's saying, I am that fountain of life. I am the water that gives you life and it's this pure running fountain of living water. And you instead made for yourself cistern. Cistern was a, it would have been a stone with plaster, usually under the house so that when it rained, it would 
go into the cistern, but if it cracked, all your water would leak out. And in the desert, that's a really big problem. And so he's saying, you have created for yourself your own means of salvation, your own means of life. Instead of following me and my words of life and how the things that I have taught you, you have made your own way, is what he's telling the people of Israel. So, um, so back here, where, uh, back in um, John chapter 4, where he's trying to explain to this woman at the well that he is God, essentially. He is the Messiah. He has come to teach these words of life, the living water, that if you follow and obey him, you will have life eternal with God. Because in the Garden of Eden, when sin entered in, death entered into the picture. Not death, although it was a product of the results of sin, not so much death being you're going to die and get buried, but death being separated from God. In, in, in biblical terms and in Hebraic language, death is separation. So obviously when you die, you're separated from life, but also in the garden, they were separated from the presence of God. So God had to make a way because the Adam and Eve weren't capable of going back into the Garden of Eden. God had to make a way to bring them back to himself, and only he could make that happen. And so that's the whole point of the Messiah. And that's what he's trying to lay out for her here in this situation, amidst all the other nuances historically, culturally, that were going on. So that's why I love John. It's just so dynamically technical. There's so many things assumed and, and that should be understood going on that bring color and life to the story that if, if you don't understand, it just gets lost. So, uh, so, so Yeshua you know, tells her about herself and she's like, oh man, you, you got to be a prophet. So she goes on in verse 20. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So she goes right into a question, which is one of the big, she, she's like, wow, this guy must be a prophet. He's telling me some crazy things. So I'm going to throw pretty much the biggest question at him. So you say, so our fathers worship on this mountain, and you say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So again, back to what I was talking about in the earlier, when the kingdom split, they started worshiping in the northern kingdom in the northern kingdom because they didn't want the people going down to Jerusalem, and so they got into a lot of idolatry. And so she says, well, which is it? If you're a prophet of God, if you know the scriptures so well and you're changing me and telling me all these things, who's right here? Is it the Samaritans or is it the, uh, the Judeans? And Yeshua is going to basically say, you're both wrong. <laughs> uh, and you're kind of missing the whole point. So that's what he's going to go on to say here. Uh, 21. Yeshua said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what? Idolatry. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews, of the Yehudim. So this whole idea here, uh, they don't know what they worship because it's, they, were, they were doing idolatry. It was not based in scripture, so it, it's illogical. It makes no sense. Well, we know what we worship for salvation of the, is of the Jews, meaning salvation uh, and the promised Messiah is going to come through the tribe of Judah. That was an understood thing. And so she's saying, 
you guys by staying, he's saying you guys by staying up here and worshiping on this mountain are rejecting the salvation that God has given through the tribe of Judah, which is the Messiah. 23, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the one of them said unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Messiah. When he is come, he will tell us all things. And Yeshua said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. So anybody that tells you that Yeshua never claimed to be Messiah, Messiah or God, is full of crap and has never read John chapter 4. So these three, these th- three verses are just awesome, four verses. So the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. So he, again, he goes right to the point of things because she's getting hung up on, well, where's the right place to worship? And sacrifice. Should we be up here in the north or should we be down in Jerusalem? And Yeshua says, yeah, that kind of matters, but if you don't accept the springs of living water, if you're not worshiping God from a right spirit, if there's not a transformation inside you, your exterior actions don't mean anything, and they're all for naught, because there were a whole bunch of really religious good people down in Jerusalem going to the temple, bringing all the sacrifices, feeling real good about themselves. Well, he talks about inwards they were full of dead men's bone, and they would wash the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup was, was dirty. So he's saying, and he says here, when the true worshipers, so what in the world, what in the world, what in the world is it? So you got a, 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 a false worshiper and a true worshiper? Well, apparently. So you can go through all the motions, you can be at the right place, but what does God actually want? He wants the relationship. He wants the spirit. He wants it to come from what's inside. He wants the child to obey and do his chores because they have a relationship with the father and they want to be a part of the household and build it up and make it function and work together not just going through the motions till I can get the H-E double toothpicks out of here when I turn 18. Screw you, Dad. You know, that's, that, there's no relationship there. So he's searching, searching for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So the woman says, man, I'm thinking that you might be the Messiah. Or no, she's, or no, actually, I'm sorry. So the woman says, I know that Messiah come, which, uh, that Messiah cometh. And when he has come, he will telleth all things. This is a very true statement in rabbinic literature and, and, and Judaism. And the understanding was that when the Messiah comes, he will teach Torah perfectly. And he will teach us all things. Which is pretty interesting because that's what Yeshua came and he did. And, uh, and he says, you're right. And I that speak unto thee and he. And right then, disciples walk in. <laughs> So just a phenomenal, phenomenal section where he lays out and, and, and just goes masterfully right to the point with her. He, uh, he asks, he gets her attention by asking of the well, talks about the water and how the people have strayed from God in making their own cisterns, but they need the living water and they need to turn back. And then he teaches her that salvation is from the tribe of Judah, from the Messiah. And then says, 
but really don't get hung up on the place. It's all about what's going inside, on inside of you and to worship God in spirit and truth because the hour come where we're, it, it, you're going to worship in spirit and truth. And that he is the Messiah. So it's just a cool progression with this woman at the well. So, and 27. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, what seekest thou? Or why talkest thou with her? So they're like, what in the world is he doing? Why in the world is he talking to this Samaritan woman? This, 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 this is not done. Uh, 28, and the woman then left her water pot and she went away into the city and saith to the men, come, see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is this not the Messiah? And then, then they went out of the city and came unto him. And in the meanwhile, his disciples uh, prayed him saying, master, eat. And he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, hath any man brought him aught to eat? And she said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say ye not, there, uh, say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, for they are white already to the harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And he and and herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labor. So, he, you know, he just, he just keeps laying it on. They, they come back, they're like, here, eat something. And he's like, I'm, not, I'm fine, I'm good. I've got something else to eat. He knows that she's coming back and with all, with all the village. And then he, he lays out how um, the harvest of, of people uh, is ripe, that, that has, has been built upon by the ministering of the, the prophets and the men of old before, and that now the, the harvest is ripe, and there he's saying, look up, you know, even amongst the Samaritans, those who are coming to Yeshua, coming to faith, are, are there. So, uh, and, and one sows, another reaps. Um, okay, 39. We're getting there. Uh, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the women, which testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. This is a big deal. You don't, nobody stayed. If you were an uh, upright, holy, and righteous Jew, you didn't stay with the Samaritans. So, what he's doing here is a very prophetic thing because he is going to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's going into Samaria, which was a mixture and a, a, a mess, and they were involved in pagan worship. And he's, and he's teaching and ministering to them just as the Messiah would do. Uh, 41, and many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, uh, now we believe not because of, the, of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that he indeed is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Which is, that's a very important little line right there because um, often, you know, it's, it's thought of or said that, you know, he's the, or in traditional Jewish or rabbinic thought, like he's going to be the Savior of Israel or the Savior of uh, just, the, just the Jews, sometimes you'll hear. 
But they're saying, and they understood, and they're right, he's the Savior of the world. All those who would come to him. Especially as it pertained to them, because they're not pure lineage Israelites. So after two days, he departed hence and went unto Galilee. 44. For Yeshua himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country, because he's going up into Galilee, that's where he's from. And when he was coming to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast. For they were also at the feast, under the fe feast. And so Yeshua came again unto Canaan of Galilee, and where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Yeshua was come out of Judea unto Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And said unto Yeshua, uh, then said Yeshua unto him, Except you see signs and wonders, you believe, you will not believe. And the nobleman said unto him, Sir, come down, for my child die. So it's interesting because you know Yeshua is saying like most of these people, him probably included, like they're looking for signs and wonders, and then we'll believe you are who you say you are. But this guy, he believed ahead of time, apparently. He said, no, just calm down. My child is dying. 50, Yeshua said unto him, Go thy way, the son liveth. And the man believed. So again, he didn't see anything. The word which Yeshua had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Yeshua said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole house. This is again the second miracle that Yeshua did when he was come out of Judea unto Galilee. So there you go. He's healing, healing the sick. And he didn't just do miracles willy-nilly. They were all uh, uh, had prophetic implications of his place uh, as the Messiah of Israel, of the world. And um, so these stories are so layered and so dynamic and just awesome. And there's so much to glean and learn from as you go through them. So hopefully you guys got something out of that, as I did. And um, let's pray. Heavenly Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of it. I thank you for the story of the woman at the well and how uh, you, Yeshua, as you speak the words of salvation unto her and uh, lay out truth uh, that, that she and everyone as, as your people need to return to those springs of living water instead of our own cisterns, our own systems in which we create to try to save ourselves. Instead, we must be reliant on you to uh, save us. So I just thank you for truth and for life and for your word and for Shabbat and this time to be together and learn. I just pray that you would uh, help us as we go forth this week to serve you and uh, honor and obey you, God, and be a light in our community. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. Hey, mighty warriors arise.